Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Welcome back, everyone. Today was Rosh Chodesh, Chodesh Tov, very auspicious day. Today was a day that the Rebbe got better after two heart attacks, massive heart attack, which miraculously survived and lived for another 17 years. So it's a great auspicious holiday for all of us. And uh, it's good to be back. It's the first class we're having in person since uh, COVID-19. So welcome back. It's good to see everyone in person and those who are joining us online. We continue where we left off. Uh, we're on page 8 in the prayer book. The blessings for the Torah. The question is, why is this part of prayer? There's three pillars that the world stands on. There's prayer, there's mitzvot, and there's Torah. There's a place for Torah, there's a place for prayer, and there's a time and place for mitzvot. There are three different pillars. First you pray and then you study Torah. So before you study Torah, you make a blessing for the studying of Torah. What does the blessing for the studying of Torah have to do with prayer? Yes, the mitzvah of studying Torah is all day. So it begins as soon as you wake up. Fine, so say it before prayer. Why is this part of prayer? First you pray and then, and then we study Torah. Now, in the prayer, we do mention verses. We bring down verses from the Torah. But when you bring down, halachically, when you bring down a verse from the Torah in prayer, it's not called studying Torah. I'm quoting the verse in my prayer. I'm using it as prayer. When you're using verses in the Torah as prayer, then you're not obligated to make a blessing in the Torah. You're not allowed to study Torah, verbally say things in Torah before you make a blessing. It's like before you do a mitzvah. You can't do a mitzvah unless you make a blessing first. So you're not allowed to do, fulfill the mitzvah of studying Torah by saying words of Torah before you make a blessing. Before you think words of Torah, you don't have to make a blessing. But before you say any words of Torah, you're not allowed to say any words of Torah before you make a blessing. But the, the verses in the Torah that are quoted constantly and continuously throughout the prayer book it's part of prayer. You're saying it as a prayer. You're not learning it as studying it. Why make the blessing in the Torah in the middle of the prayer? Now, there are those, even till today, very few, that have the custom. The blessing for the Torah is not said over here, but it's said later on, right before we quote from the Torah, we quote the daily sacrifices. We quote from the Torah. Here in our prayer book, on page 18, we quote from the Torah the mitzvah of um, bringing the daily sacrifices. And then we quote the Mishnah, which is a Mishnah, a whole chapter in Zvachim, the fifth chapter, the oral Torah. And then the Braiser, Rabbi Shmuel Oimer, from, from Sifra. So this is clearly learning. You're learning. You're quoting a whole parsha from the Torah. You're quoting a whole paragraph from the Torah and then about the incense. So you're quoting a whole paragraph from the Torah. It's not a prayer. You're studying Torah. If you're saying words of Torah, it's studying Torah. So before you say the words of Torah, before you quote the whole chapter of Mishnayis, 
in the oral Torah and the opening of Sifra, you must make a blessing. You have no choice. And that's why they make the blessing and that's why they put it there. And that's one of the reasons given, by the way, why women make a blessing for the, for the mitzvah of studying Torah. This blessing. Women are exempt from studying Torah. Talmud says, according to some opinions, that, that you should be careful about uh, teaching, teaching you, you, your daughter Torah. So why do they make a blessing? But one of the explanations that I give in is because since they're obligated to pray, part of prayer, an essential part of prayer is to quote this part of the Torah that discusses the daily sacrifices because the prayers are a substitute for the daily sacrifices. So therefore, they're obligated to study Torah. They're obligated to say this part of the Torah. Since they're obligated to pray, so they're obligated to say this part of the Torah, so they have to make a blessing. It's an obligation. It's a rabbinic obligation for them to say, to learn Torah. So you can't say they don't have an obligation to study Torah. They do have an obligation. They have an obligation to pray. An essential part of prayer is to quote this paragraph in the Torah from from, uh, the, the daily sacrifices. And therefore, they have an obligation to make a blessing. They have an obligation to study Torah to make a blessing. The other reason that's given is because since women are obligated in almost all of the 613 mitzvot, there's only a handful of exceptions. The time-bound mitzvot, most time-bound mitzvot, they're exempt. But it's only a handful of mitzvot that they're exempt. So f- they have to, in order to fulfill all the mitzvot that they're obligated, the majority of the 613 mitzvot, so many of the 613 mitzvot, you have to learn all the laws. You can't fulfill the mitzvah unless you learn the laws. So they're obligated to study, to know, to thoroughly know Shabbat. You know how many laws are involved in Shabbat? The women are equally obligated in Shabbat like the men. So there's a lot to study, there's a lot to learn. So they have an obligation to study. So therefore they make a blessing. But because of the obligation, because we stay a part of the Torah, therefore, first we have to make the blessing for the Torah. But the most communities... We don't say the blessing of the Torah then. We incorporate, some have the blessing of the Torah right after a Lakai Neshama. Right after, in our Siddur will be in page 6, right after, you say, Modani in until Siddayim, a Lakai Neshama, right away, the first thing they say is the blessing for the Torah. We have it, al Rebbe puts it, after, after the, the blessings, all the, the morning blessings, and the Vihiratsan, and then we have the blessing for the Torah. So this is like part of prayer. It's incorporated as part of prayer. So why did we include the blessings of the Torah in prayer? Question number one. Question number two. A blessing for a mitzvah, how many blessings do you have in every mitzvah? A grand total of one. How many blessings do we have here in, for the Torah? One, two, and three. Some say that the first two are one, so it's really two blessings. But even two blessings. Where do you have two blessings in a mitzvah? Okay, we find by bris. By bris, we find you make two blessings. One for the mitzvah, and one is like giving praise to Hashem. But here, it's either two or three blessings. Why do you have three blessings? For the same mitzvah, for the mitzvah of studying Torah. Also, what is the point? What is the purpose of blessing, of making a blessing for the Torah? We find that many mitzvot, which are verbal, you don't make a blessing. Do you make a blessing before you bench? 
blessed you Hashem for give, commanding us for the mitzvah, the obligation to say grace after the meal which is we're biblically obligated and according to Maimonides this is the only blessing that we're obligated to say biblically so you should make a blessing before you do the blessing <laughs> rabbinically you should make a blessing thank you Hashem for giving us the, every time you bench before you bench make a blessing just like before you put on tefillin you make a blessing before you do a mitzvah you should make a blessing for giving us the mitzvah for making a blessing for saying grace after the meal we don't say a blessing you don't say a blessing for the Shema. The blessings that we say before the Shema, not a regular blessing. We don't make a blessing like all the other mitzvot. Baruch atah Hashem. You commanded us. We don't say that. That's not the blessings that we make. We don't make a blessing for the Haggadah. It's a biblical commandment to say the Haggadah. Before you sit down to the Haggadah, you make a blessing before you eat the matzah. Why don't you make a blessing before you eat the murder? Why don't you make a blessing before you say Haggadah, you should make a bracha. You're fulfilling a biblical commandment. Say before the matzah yes, but not before the Haggadah, not before telling the story. It's a biblical commandment. We're fulfilling a biblical obligation by telling the story of Pesach. We don't make a blessing. There's an obligation to remember the Exodus from Egypt every day. We don't make a blessing before we do that. So we see by verbal mitzvot, we don't say a blessing. So what is the meaning? Why do we make a blessing before the giving of the Torah? And we find that the blessing before the giving of the Torah is unique. Because the Talmud says, in Tractate Shabbos, page 21, the Talmud asked, where do we know that you're biblically obligated to make a blessing before you read the Torah? And he quotes the verse in Deuteronomy from Hazinu, the end of Deuteronomy. Moshe says, Kishem Hashem Ekra, when I call out Hashem's name, that when I call out Hashem's name, when I make a blessing before I study the Torah, you should answer, Amen. Or some say, when I'm reading the Torah, praise Hashem, make a blessing, bless Hashem. And according to Nachmanides, he counts this, he lists this as one of the 613 mitzvot. According to Nachmanides, there are two blessings. Only two blessings that were biblically obligated. One is the grace after the meal. And the other one is the blessing before the Torah. Before you study Torah, you have to, you have to say a blessing. Maimonides disagrees. According to most understanding of Maimonides, Maimonides only counts one blessing as a 613 mitzvah. The blessing to say grace after the meal. Mitzvah 430. Parshas Ekev, and that's it. He doesn't count. Others want to say that even Maimonides holds is biblical, but it's part of the studying of Torah. It's part of the mitzvah of studying Torah. But most understand that no, there's no biblical obligation to make a blessing. But the Talmud says that there is a biblical source to make a blessing for the Torah. So they say it's, it's rabbinic. The rabbis hung it on the pasuk, on a verse. They, they, they hang it up on a verse. They don't mean to say that it's one of the biblical obligations. Now, according to Nachmanides, why would the Torah tell us to make a blessing over the Torah? There's no other mitzvah that you have to make a blessing. Now, it's interesting, the difference between the blessing of the grace after the meal and the blessing that you make before the Torah. The blessing you make the grace after the meal, when do you make the blessing? After. After, after you finish eating, then you make the blessing. When it comes to the blessing of the Torah, you would think, after you finish learning, ah, it was such a great session, I enjoyed it so much. That level, let me make a blessing and thank Hashem. 
No, we make the blessing first thing in the morning. Before you utter a word of Torah, first you have to make a blessing before you even start learning. And the commentaries say the difference is obvious. There you're thanking Hashem for the pleasure, the benefit that your body benefited from eating. You feel nourished, you feel strengthened. The body can't praise Hashem, you can't be grateful and thankful to Hashem before you, you physically benefited, before you physically enjoyed, felt the pleasure, felt, felt the... So when you benefit and you feel the pleasure, then you could, you could um, thank Hashem. You can't thank Hashem before you eat. You're starving, you're hungry. You only feel grateful when you're full. You feel grateful, now you can express your thanks to Hashem. But the studying of Torah engages your mind, engages your soul, engages your, your mind, your soul, your intellect could enjoy Torah even before you study, even before you have the satisfaction of studying Torah, you can appreciate the value and the preciousness of the Torah. So you already feel grateful before you even open the Torah, before you even open the book, before you utter a word, I can express my gratitude and thank Hashem for the gift, for the gift of Torah. So we find that there's something unique about the blessing of the Torah. It's not just a blessing to fulfill a mitzvah. Even according to those who say it's not a biblical commandment, but nevertheless the rabbis find a special source for making this blessing. Obviously the content of this blessing is more than just a mitzvah. There's something unique about Torah. And because of the uniqueness of Torah, we make a special blessing. To express the preciousness of Torah. It's not just another mitzvah. It's one of the 613 mitzvahs that are obligated to study Torah. It's not just an, a detail. It's not just another mitzvah. Torah, there's something unique about Torah. Torah is, is essential. Torah is something that's, that characterizes the Jewish people. We are a nation, as the Rabbi Sadi Goyen says, only with Torah. Torah is what defines us. Torah is what characterizes us. Torah is our essence, our core. It's our essence. That's why we survive. So there's something very unique and special about the Torah. And that's what we bless Hashem for. We're blessing Hashem to show our appreciation for the Torah. And that's why the Talmud says that why was the temple destroyed? It says the prophets couldn't understand why was the temple destroyed when so many Jews were religious and they studied Torah. So Hashem gave the answer. You know why? Because they abandoned me. So the Talmud explains, what do you mean they abandoned me? If, if it means obviously that they abandoned the Torah, why would the prophets wonder why the temple was destroyed? It was obvious. They abandoned the Torah. The Talmud said they didn't abandon the Torah. They, they studied Torah. But they did not make the blessing of the Torah before, before they studied the Torah. And if you're talking about the first temple, this is before all the blessings were instituted. This is a unique, special blessing of the Torah. Before you study Torah, this is something that dates back all the way. According to Nachmanides, this is a biblical commandment. We were given at Sinai. That when you bless, before you study Torah, you have to bless, you have to bless the Torah. To show, to express the preciousness of the Torah. 
So they studied Torah, but they studied Torah as a scholarly pursuit. Torah is brilliant. Torah is engaging. Once you get the hang of it and you learn it, you enjoy it. It sharpens your mind. It's pleasurable. But when you don't make a blessing of the Torah before the Torah, what you're saying, that tells me that you don't appreciate the preciousness of the Torah, the uniqueness of the Torah, the holiness of the Torah. As the Bach, Rabbi Yoel Sirkish, one of the commentaries in the tour, explains, he says he doesn't understand. Just because you didn't make a blessing before the Torah, you deserve for the temple to be destroyed. It's not commensurate. The punishment is not commensurate to the crime. It seems like a very, a very uh, weak reason to destroy the temple, to create such upheaval. And he explains, because what is the primary purpose of studying the Torah? It's a classical Bach. He says, what's the primary purpose of studying Torah? It's not just learning the brilliance of the Torah. We're trying to connect with the author, with the, with the essence of the author of the Torah, with Hashem. When you study Torah with your mind, and we're studying the Torah that we understand, but there's something else going on here on a much deeper level. At the same time that your mind is engaged in the idea that you're learning, in the idea of the Torah that you're learning, your soul is also connecting with the soul of the author, with Hashem, the holiness of Hashem. It's emerging, a connection of our soul with Hashem's soul, with Hashem's essence. And that's how we become a dwelling place for Hashem. That's how Hashem dwells in this world. Through us studying Torah, we bring Hashem into this world. What happens when you don't bless the Torah before the studying of the Torah? It means that you completely are oblivious to what the main event, what's really going on when you're studying Torah. To you, it's just scholarship. It's brilliance, it's scholarship. But you're missing the whole soul of what's going on. The holiness of the Torah. The idea that you're connecting with Hashem's infinity, with the infinite essence of Hashem, with Hashem's holiness, Hashem's transcendence. So therefore, the Torah is just a scholarly pursuit. So Hashem doesn't dwell in this world. So as a consequence, not a punishment, as a consequence, it led to the destruction of the temple. Hashem is no longer at home in this world. Hashem no longer dwells in this world. And therefore, you had the upheaval of the destruction of the temple. It's interesting. Today is a celebration of the, the Rebbe's getting well in 1977, miraculously. And in his first book that he published, it was published in 1943, the Ayoyim the daily, very short, powerful lessons. So today's Ayoyim Yom, Meshachayim Kislev, is all about prayer. You know, it's all quotes from, from the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. So he says there, he quotes, that there was a great chassid, Rabbi Kassir Lepler, he was a chassid of the Alter Rebbe. He says, and there were many times that he would daven all day. His morning prayer led him all the way till Mincha. He finished the morning prayer by the time it came time to Mincha. He started before everyone. He didn't start davening 11 o'clock. He started davening 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. But it would take him six hours or seven hours to daven. 
By the time he finished davening, it was already time for Mincha. The Mincha would take him, he said many times, the Mincha would take him until Mayrev. It took him time to have a Mincha until he reached Mayrev. Evening service. So all three prayers, one went right into the other. Three prayers together. He was davening all day. And it's very telling. Because this is really the revolution of the Baal Shem Tev, the revolution of the Alter Rebbe of Hasidus, especially Chabad. And this maybe explains why this is part of davening, why the blessings of the Torah are part of the davening. The whole revolution of Hasidus was that we don't just pray. We have to learn the prayer book. <laughs> just like we study the Talmud and we study we have to learn and study the prayer book. The whole Hasidus is here to teach us all the meditations and what we mean and what we say in prayer. We're not just mouthing words. We're not just fulfilling religious duty or obligations. The prayer book comes alive. Every word in the prayer book, it's, it's... So we study the prayer and we daven the Gemara. <laughs> what do you mean you daven the Gemara? That means that as a result of prayer, anything that you learn in the Torah, when you finish learning at the end of the day, you ask yourself, how is this going to change my life? Whatever I studied, anything in the Talmud, it could be a far-fetched law that's not applicable today, purity, impurity, in the times of the Temple, a deep, deep uh, pilpul or argument or discussion. At the end of the day, everything in Torah, every word in Torah, every sugi in the Torah, everything in the Torah, ultimately, has to be translated into avoidant into service. The Rebbe in all of his talks, more so than anyone else, this is the whole revolution of Baal Shem Tev, but the Rebbe in all of his talks, you can't find a single talk where at the end of the talk, in great depth and discussion, Thorough discussion, beginning, middle, and end, at the end of every talk. What's the personal lesson? How does this apply to my personal life? How is this going to change my life? How what I just learned is going to affect me, change me, challenge me, inspire me? You know, the early generation of Hasidim, they had no precedence. They didn't grow up as Hasidim. They were the first generation. So they all came from non-Hasidic homes, and they chose to become Hasidim. Now, one of the greatest students of this great Rosh Yeshiva ran away from his Yeshiva, and he went to Rabbi Dovber, the Magad Mizrich, and became a big Hasid. When he came back home, he asked him, I don't understand, why did you leave me? After all, together, we went through the whole Shas. We studied the whole Shas, the whole Talmud. We studied, we accomplished so much together. Why did you leave so he says, that's the difference between you and in Mizrich. He says, in your yeshiva, I learned to go through the whole shas. In Mizrich, Rabbi Dovber, the Magad of Mizrich, taught me how the shas should go through me. <laughs> how did the Talmud change me? How did the Talmud transform me? How did everything I learned in the Talmud make me a better person? How did it challenge me, inspire me? How did I personalize it, internalize it? So that's what it means that the, the Torah has to be turned and transformed into avoid, into service.
And that's what it means. The Torah is a Torah of light. Torah is not just scholarly. Torah is not just information. Torah is a Torah of light. It illuminates my life. It has to transform my life. As the Talmud says, if someone will tell you there's wisdom amongst the Goyim, believe it, there's brilliance, there's wisdom. Maimonides calls Aristotle one of the most wisest men that ever lived after King Solomon. Brilliant. Of course there's brilliance. God gave brilliance to all the nations. But if someone will tell you there's Torah amongst the nations, don't believe it. Torah is uniquely Jewish. Torah is divine. Torah is godly. Why? What's the difference? What's the difference between wisdom and Torah? Torah is also wisdom and brilliant. Because wisdom is detached. Wisdom is, I'm objective, and I'm learning, and I'm studying, and I'm figuring something out. Two plus two is four. It's brilliant. It's a fact. It's true. It's mathematical. It's precise. It's scientific. But it's not Torah. Torah is unique. Torah is divine. Torah is godly. Torah, what's the word Torah mean? A teaching. Everything that you study in Torah is transformed into a teaching, a guidance. Two plus two is four is true. But so what? Who cares? Does it change how you wake up in the morning? Does it make you a better person, a different person? The Nazis were brilliant scientists. They knew how to make a gas very precise. Who cares? In Torah, every bit of Torah that you learn has to change you. That's divine. That's godly. That it has to transform you. It has to evoke a response within you. It's total. It has to touch the totality of your being. Which is why when a Jew studies Torah... The mitzvah of studying Torah, the primary mitzvah of studying Torah is to verbalize the Torah. If you just think the Torah, that's not the ideal way of fulfilling the mitzvah of studying Torah. If you think Torah, you don't even have to make a blessing because you're not fulfilling the mitzvah. The real fulfillment of the mitzvah of studying Torah is you should verbalize the Torah. It's called Torah Shabal Peh. It's Torah of the mouth. You verbalize it. You transmit it verbally. You teach it verbally. You learn it verbally. Even if you're studying by yourself, you should verbally verbalize the words. Why is that so important? Because the Torah has to touch the totality of your being. If Torah is just in your head, if it's just cerebral, yeah, when you study math, science, physics, it's not important to say the words. Who cares? On the contrary, you just want to think. Deep thought. It's a distraction. You just want to think, quiet, silence. I need silence. In Torah, there's a mitzvah to say it, to verbalize it, to speak it. Because Torah is divine. Torah is godly. Torah has to transform your whole being. It has to engage your whole being. It's not compartmentalized. It's not limited just to your brain, just to one part of you. It has to completely transform. And therefore, you have to verbalize it. You have to move your lips. It has to engage every part of you, every fiber of your being and every bone in your body. So when we're making a blessing for the Torah, we're, we're, we're thanking Hashem. We're thanking Hashem because we appreciate the godliness of Torah. 
the uniqueness of Torah. And that's why we relish studying Torah. Just for the sake of studying Torah. Not only because we're fulfilling a commandment. Not only because I must study Torah in order for me to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. It's impossible for me to fulfill the mitzvah unless I, ha- unless I know what I'm doing. So I must be a scholar. Just to be able to fulfill my duties and obligations, I have to learn. There's a lot of laws, a lot of details, a lot of learning to do. The primary mitzvah of studying Torah is studying Torah lishma for its own sake, just for the sake of studying Torah. And that explains why a Jew studies Torah with such relish. A Jew is 99 years old. He's been studying Torah since he's 3 years old. 18 hours a day. He can't wait, jumps out of bed, can't wait to wake up in the morning and spend another 18 hours a day studying. And what does a Jew study? A Jew will spend thousands of hours studying civil law. Baba Kamba, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra. You know, for the rest of the world, who studies civil law? If you're planning to be a lawyer, if you're planning to be a judge, you spend thousands of hours studying civil law. If you're not planning to make a career, if you're not planning to study... To, why would I spend thousands of hours studying something that's completely irrelevant to my life? A Jew wakes up in the morning and spends thousands of hours learning, learning the laws of the temple. We don't have a temple today. The laws of the sacrifices. We don't have sacrifices. We spend thousands of hours studying agricultural law. What do we know about agriculture? Because we, we didn't grow up in a farm. Half of these laws we can't... Because we're studying Torah for the sake of studying. Because for us, Torah is a divine activity. Torah is a godly activity. And that's why we get excited about Torah. And that's the idea of making a blessing before you study Torah. Because when is Torah a blessing? As the rabbis explain, why does the Torah start with a bez? Why doesn't the Torah start with the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph? It starts with Bereshit, with a bez. First letter, the primary letter, the Ten Commandments starts with the Aleph, Anochi Hashem And the rabbis answer because Bez comes from the word blessing, Bracha. Aleph is the first letter of the word Arur, cursed. So the Torah doesn't want to start with Aleph, which is cursed. It wants to start with Bez, which is Bracha, blessing. An astonishing, <laughs> astonishing answer. Really? The Ten Commandments starts with Aleph. Aleph is cursed. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The one, Aleph. It refers to Hashem, who's one. Absolutely one. What do you mean? Aleph is cursed. And there are many words in Hebrew. And there are many words that start with a base that mean, that connote something negative. What's the answer? What's the, what's the, what are the rabbis answering? So the Rebbe explains. There are two steps in studying Torah. There's Aleph the first part of studying Torah, and Bey is the second step. The Torah starts, before you start writing the Torah, you have, to, you have to have a few lines that are blank. In other words, there's something that precedes the letters and the words. The letters of the words are what contain the idea, the concept, the things that you can grasp. But when you approach Torah, you have to remember that there's something that's beyond the learning and the understanding and the grasp. And that is represented by the Aleph. That's, the Torah is infinite. Torah is Hashem's Torah. It's Hashem's infinite wisdom. 
And Hashem, miraculously, in His great love and kindness for us, concentrated His infinite essence into ideas and words and letters that we can relate to. Stories, concepts, ideas, practical law. But the Torah is miraculous. That Hashem has the ability to concentrate His infinite essence, His infinite self, into these finite words and letters. So when you're studying Torah, you're studying the idea that is based, that's the second step. There's some, it's preceded by the Aleph, the holiness of the Torah, the transcendence of the Torah. So when you're studying the, the idea that's limited, that you can understand and you can grasp, What's contained in this idea is the infinite, the aleph, that's represented by the blank, it transcends words and letters. Your soul is connecting with the infinite essence of Hashem, as the Bach says. So that's what the Talmud means. That when the learning and the understanding is based, is the second step, because it's preceded by the aleph, it's preceded with the, with the idea and the awareness of the infinite, of the godly and the divine aspect of the Torah, which is primary, the Aleph, that's primary. Then the Torah is based, the Torah is a blessing. But if the learning of the Torah, if the word would start with an Aleph, if the learning of the Torah is Aleph, if that's the first and primary step to you, what is the Torah all about? It's a brilliance, it's the learning, it's the scholarship, it's to prove how sharp I am. If that's what Torah is all about to you, then the Torah is a curse, as the Talmud says. It could be a poison of life, it could be a, po- a drug of life, it could be poison. You're completely clueless. You're learning Torah all day and you're clueless. That's why the temple was destroyed. They studied Torah, they were brilliant, they were scholars, they were fully engaged in studying Torah. But they didn't make the blessing before the study. The blessing before you study the Torah. What is blessing? Blessing means, like we learned in the earlier classes, to draw down, to reveal. You're revealing the godliness in the Torah. That's the idea of the blessing of the Torah. We're blessing before you study Torah. The Torah tells us in the Torah you have to make a blessing. Meaning you have to draw down the awareness of Hashem in the studying of the Torah. That you're touching the divine. You're becoming intimate with the divine. And that's why you're excited about studying Torah. When a Jew studies Torah, it's more than any other mitzvah. There's something unique about studying Torah, as the Alter Rebbe explains in the first part of the Tanya. In chapter 5, you can learn it in, 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 in tanyaclasses.com, that when you learn Torah, your mind, our finite mind, merges with the infinite, becomes inseparable and one with Hashem. So you're becoming intimate with Hashem. Something divine and something godly and something unique happens that doesn't happen anywhere else. You're becoming intimate with Hashem. That's why you get excited about studying Torah. Any part of Torah. Because it's divine, it's godly. And then the Torah is a blessing. So the prayer, the blessing before the Torah is like a prayer. That's the whole idea of prayer. Prayer is to connect with the divine, to connect with godliness. When you're praying, you're talking to Hashem. You're standing directly in front of Hashem and you're having a conversation with Hashem. It's godly, it's divine. 
So when you, when you make a blessing of the Torah, it's also divine. It's a godly event. You're introducing, you're revealing before you study Torah. This, is, this comes before the studying of the Torah, before the scholarship and the studying of the Torah is preceded. The primary step is, the first step is, I'm making a blessing. I realize the preciousness of the Torah. It's divine and it's godly. So for a Jew, Torah is, it's our identity. This is what identifies us. To us, the Torah is not just rules and laws. Torah is the blueprint for reality. God looked into the Torah and he created the world. It says in the Torah there should be light and they created light. As the, the Medr says, like a, an architect. Before he builds, first he looks at the blueprints and then he builds. The Torah is the blueprint. So anything that exists in this world originates in Torah. There's nothing in this world that doesn't originate in the Torah. And this revolutionizes our whole understanding of reality which is the whole theme of what prayer is. Prayer reorients us and helps us understand reality, helps us understand the truth of Hashem Echad, the absolute unity of Hashem. And that's really the way we look at the Torah. To us, the Torah is the blueprint for reality, meaning most people think that existence, reality is, we exist, and then we have to figure out a way to live, so Hashem in His infinite kindness gave us a Torah, He gave us a constitution, He gave us rules and laws, how to live life and live a happy life and a satisfied life and a good life and a wholesome life and it'll be good for you in this world and the world to come and all levels. You'll be physically happy, you'll be spiritually happy. It's perfect. He gave us a perfect way of life which only God Himself can, can give us such a perfect answer to such a complex problem called life. But when the Jewish people stood at Sinai they realize, no, that whole assumption is completely wrong. Sinai turned everything upside down. What they opened, when the heavens opened up at Sinai, what they realized at Sinai, they realize that there is no other reality but God. All there is, is Hashem and His Torah. God had a vision. God wanted. He had a vision. And because of this vision, that's why He created this world. It's not that this world exists and then God comes along and gives us a Torah to figure it out, a perfect system that works. No, there is no world. The whole purpose of the world, why did God create Wall Street and finance? Because there's a mitzvah in the Torah. You should give tzedakah. So God created the whole world of currency and finance and business and banks so in order for us to be able to fulfill the mitzvah of tzedakah. It all starts with the Torah. Torah is the blueprint. There is nothing else besides the Torah. Everything that exists must originate in the Torah. And that's why a Jew looks at everything in this world through the eyes of the Torah. We look at this world and we divide everything in the world into three categories. You have mitzvot, you have objects with which you can do a mitzvah, like leather hide of an animal, you can take it and write tefillin with it. The lula of the estrich, the, the palm branch, and the, and the citrus tree, and the, and the willow, and the, uh, and the uh, myrtle. You do a mitzvah with it. Then you have things that are neutral. Kosher. All kosher means it's neutral. It's not, not kosher, it's not kosher. It depends what you do with it. If you make a blessing, you take the energy, and you use that energy to serve Hashem, you elevate that experience. You earn money, you have a career, you earn money. You take that money, you give tzedakah, you earn it in a kosher way, in an honest way. 
you take care of your family, you give them a Jewish education, and so then you're elevating that experience. Then you have things that are not kosher. Most of the world is not kosher. There's 600, out of the 613 mitzvot, 365 prohibitions. Very few kosher animals. Most animals are not kosher. Many human experiences are not kosher. And within not kosher itself, there are certain things that are toxic. Like, like evil, absolute evil, like a molek, like absolute evil. Now, if you don't have a Torah, without the Torah, you take everything at face value. Everything, you look everything like a, a, on the surface. Everything is skin deep. If something exists, it exists. It's only when you look at the world with the eyes of the Torah, you look at the world from Hashem's point of view, I'm able to make a value judgment on everything that exists. Is this kosher? Is this a potential mitzvah? Or is this poison? What's its purpose? Why did God create it? It's poison. I should discard it. Why did God create non-kosher experience? I should discard it and reject it. Firmly reject it. Why did God create a malik, tumors, to be completely destroyed? Chemotherapy, you've got to completely destroy it. It can't be elevated. It has to be destroyed. So you're able to make a value judgment. Without Torah, you're lost. You're in the dark. Every, everything is the same to you. It exists, so it must be. I have to deal with it. If it exists, I have to embrace it. You don't have the ability to make a value. You don't reject absolute evil. Instead, you're sitting down with, with, with Ayatollah and you're sitting and having coffee with him because you don't have the wisdom, the values, the depth, the truth, the godly the truth to be able to see that this is a mullah, this is a Hitler that has to be completely rejected. You don't say, well, they're here, they exist, I have no choice, I have to sit and accommodate them. Only someone who's completely godless and clueless will come to such a conclusion. He'll sit with Hitler also. But when you believe in a God, you're able to make that value judgment. This is evil. And the whole purpose of evil is to completely reject it and despise it. The purpose of something that's neutral could be elevated, to engage it, elevate it. And the purpose of something that could potentially be holy is to turn it into a mitzvah, into something holy, a holy object. So it's only with Torah when you realize that everything that God, everything that exists in this world, nothing really exists in this world. The only reason it exists is only because God had a vision, God had a plan, a blueprint. And therefore you have to ask yourself, everything that exists you find in the Torah. Torah is not compartmentalized. You can find what's the purpose of this object. And the same thing in your personal life. A Jew doesn't make a move in his life. Everything you do in your life, a Jew looks to the Torah. I don't just look to the Torah what my duties are, what my obligations are. It's much deeper than that. Everything in my life I look to Torah. Because everything in life I can find in the Torah. Torah is the blueprint for reality. There's nothing that exists that's not in the Torah. Torah teaches me how to tie my shoes in the morning. There's nothing with its business, commerce, relationship. There's nothing in the world that's not covered by Torah. It's not just religion or duties or obligations. It's much broader than that. It's all encompassing. So Torah to us is core. It's essential. It's our identity. It's a blueprint. And Torah for us is also... This is our mission statement. Torah tells me 
Why? Why we exist? What is my mission? What is the purpose? What is this all about? What is my mission state? This is the reason, this is the why behind everything. So for us, Torah is so precious. We thank Hashem the first thing in the morning, the first opportunity, we thank Hashem, thank you for giving me the Torah. This is why we've survived for 30, 3,800 years. Because we have a mission. We have a purpose. We have a vision. We have a reason. Torah tells me why I exist. By living the Torah, transmitting the Torah to my children. This is our mission. We don't just exist because I happen to exist. We're here for a reason. This is my purpose in life. Torah is my purpose in life. That's my whole purpose. That's my mission state. And that's why we survive. A person without a mission will fall apart. A nation without a mission will fall apart. Has no chance of survival. The only reason the Jewish people survive for thousands and thousands of years despite all the challenges is only because we have a Torah, we have a mission, we have a sense of mission. A sense of purpose. And what a way to live your life. Instead of viewing this world as a, a computer game, it's just like a joke, you know, in the computer. You crash, you don't crash, you, you just do it over. It doesn't mean anything. It's meaningless. Instead of living your life, and my life is nihilistic and meaningless and empty, I'm just one out of seven, eight billion, and who's going to remember me and who cares? It doesn't matter, just have fun. Your purpose in life is just to have fun, whatever gives you fun and pleasure. Anyway, it's meaningless and purposeless, and you don't matter, and what you do doesn't matter, what you think doesn't matter, how you speak, what you speak doesn't matter. What a total nihilistic, dark way of living versus the Torah is illuminated. Torah is brilliantly, the Torah tells us that everything that you do matters. Everything that you do has meaning. You matter. Every action of yours, everything that you say and how you say it, everything that you think, even your attitude, everything could tip the cosmos and transform human consciousness and change the world and it is so important and meaningful and purposeful. That's what the Torah teaches me. To us, the Torah makes life meaningful. Every moment in life, every second in life, every one of us, every detail of our life is imbued, impregnated with so much infinite meaning and purpose. We thank Hashem for this gift. The blessing of the Torah is thanking Hashem. We look at the Torah not as a burden, God forbid. We thank Hashem. That's what it means. They didn't make the blessing of the Torah before they studied Torah. They looked at the Torah either either as intellectual entertainment or as a burden, I never have to do this. I'm a Torah Jew. What can I do? I have all these burdens and obligations. Schwertz is It's so hard to be Jewish. So many obligations. But the way a Jew looks at the Torah, we thank Hashem. We wake up in the morning. The first thing that we do, we thank Hashem for this gift. We look at it as a gift. What a way to live your life. What a way to start your day. What a way to live every moment of your day. Torah tells us that everything that we do is meaningful. Everything that we do is so significant and real. It's not just random, accidental. What a gift. Mm-hmm.